Hi there, Giel here, and thanks for checking this first episode of Can You Feel It? Coming up, Don Diablo, Ferry Corsten, laid-back Luke, Chucky and many more. And this first episode is with DJ Armin van Buren, recorded in his own radio studio. A real honest conversation, talking about the pressure of DJ life, where his inspiration is coming from, and he has some good advice for any new producers and DJs. This show is edited together with DJ T.O.M. And I have to thank the guys of KRK who donated this brand new Rocket G4 studio monitor. And I have to say, those old classics pumping sounds, it sounds great on this new speaker. If you have any suggestions for DJs who I have to invite, feel free to contact me. Twitter and Instagram is G-I-E-L-S. Are you ready? Let's go with the first one. Armin van Buren. It's the music of millions of people all over the world. Electronic dance music. In Holland we call it house music. It was my history. It was my youth. These were my records. Who am I? I'm Giel Beelen, a Dutch radio DJ. And I want to share and explore my musical history with you, together with the biggest DJs. As you probably know, most of them come from Holland. Why is that? This little country in the west of Europe. And how did they all start? Can you feel it? The story of a Dutch DJ from the bedroom to the festival. Check this out. This is going to be a dance trip down memory lane. Hi there, thanks for listening and welcome, Armin. What's up? Yeah, it's a bit weird to say welcome because, well, we're here at your place in your own studio, a great radio studio. Thank you, yeah. <clears throat> it's this it this this is awesome. This is uh, it's, it's so nice because you yeah well you are a nerd as well. I can I can say that absolutely. Um, actually, we started at the, at the same radio station, uh, New Dance Radio. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and yeah. Later, it was I think IDNT Radio. Uh, I, well, I, that's where I started my my show. Uh, but I first started with Koen van Tijn, yeah, uh, your colleague at yeah. New Dance Radio. <laughs> He invited me for some uh, some mixes, and uh, he said, "Well, why don't you start your own radio show?" And then Robin Albers, JD, uh, was the, for a little while he was the station director at IDNT Radio, and every evening they had a program called Into House, Into Trance, and he asked me to do the the Thursday night Into Trance, and I remember he gave me one phone call, "Hey, can you uh, can you start this uh, tomorrow?" It was the day before. I said, "Yeah, sure." So I started on the first of June two thousand one, and I haven't stopped. Until this week. And uh, yeah, you look around you and you see the radio studio. Yeah. And that's all the result of that one phone call. That's great, man. <laughs> uh, let's start with the earliest dance memory, the EDM. Um, do you remember the first time you ever heard house music? Well, house music, I'm not sure. Because I, I always have a difficult time finding exactly when the first house track. I remember yeah. uh, This House is Under Arrest from Crush was considered to be one of the first house records. But... You know, you have like Tyree Acid Crash and yeah. those, those tracks. Um, I was a big fan of a Dutch master mixer called Ben Liebrand. And, you know, I, I always praise him. And that was simply because there was a good friend of mine, uh, Art Potman, who was, um, I was eight years old and he gave me a mixtape. And it was basically the beat of uh, Art of Noise yeah. uh, with the weather guy uh, announcing the weather on top of it. So he, it was not <laughs> like he was announcing the weather, but it was on the beat. So it was kind of a, a being a, like he was rapping Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I so that's that how I discovered sampling. And I was so 
in awe about it. So he had the weather guy going, it's 18 degrees, 18 degrees. And I was like eight years old. It's like, how, how is this possible? And then the real nerd inside of me came out. And, and I, I really, that's the moment that I fell in love with electronic music. I think my father was also very important because he was pretty progressive and he used to listen to a lot of experimental electronic music at the time. Uh, of course, I remember the cover of Switched on Bach by yeah. uh, Walter Carlos. Uh, which is considered by many people as the first ever electronic album. Yeah. All the pieces from uh, Johann Sebastian Bach played with a Moog synthesizer. And I, I, I as, a, as, a, as a baby, I only remember staring at the cover of the album for a long time. And I f- try to find it on CD. I try to find it on Spotify. Mm-hmm. But it's not available on yeah. any, uh, any portal. So my dad... Uh, a couple of months ago, uh, came to my house officially, and he handed me the uh, final copy, his final copy of uh, "Switched on Bach" by uh, by Walter Carlos. That's yeah. great, man. That's how it all started. And 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 when was the moment you thought, oh, I'm going to do something with it? Because well, you mentioned Ben Libran, so you were more more into the the, the producing style then mm-hmm. at first. Yeah, I was actually part of his fan club, and I used okay. to tape all the mixes. I mean, back in the day, you have you had no SoundCloud. There was no YouTube. No. There were no, you know, the only way that I can find info on how people were, were making this music was through the Ben Librand fan club. And there were a couple of other nerds. It was basically a group of nerds. Um, they were investigating how Ben Librand's studio was working, and Ben sent some drawings of how his studio was working, and that's how I first came in touch with uh, things like 24-track tape and sampling and... Uh, because I was a member of his fan club, I got to meet Ben Librand back in 1991. Yeah. And uh, he, at that point, he was a little bit tired of uh, making electronic music. So he started more working on 3D visuals. And he actually gave me the opportunity to work in his studio. Okay. Um, and you have to understand, I was 16 years old. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of uh, pimples. <laughs> and uh, I drove uh, with the train. I, I went to uh, to Nijmegen, where he was living, and... Uh, I was in this massive studio <laughs> with all this equipment. Like everything was there: the 909, the 808, yeah. the Mook synthesizers, everything. But it was a. And he said, "Do your thing. Do your thing." And he didn't. He didn't explain nothing to me. <laughs> no. He just. He said, just "Go make music." And that's how I started. That's okay. how I started as a producer. And yeah. um, and and what happened then? Did, did, of course, it was first a bit trying. But uh, when was the first time you thought, "Hey, this is like a song or a remix, or this is this is something"? Well, if. Initially, it was just interest because I was always interested in, in in computers, electronics. You know, I programmed my uh, my my first computer games in BASIC, and on the other hand, the passion for music. And uh, I started to create my own tracks. Um, you know, back in the days, it was it was not called trance because no. the word was not invented. I think when Sasha and Dickweed started playing it, some people started calling it trance. But what I was doing, I had no idea, no. and I never. Honestly, hand on my heart, I never had a plan uh, to uh, to become a DJ because I thought, you know, why would somebody listen to Armin van Buren? I mean, I'm just a law school student from Leiden in the Netherlands. This is honest. This is yeah, yeah. honest truth. Why why would somebody like my music? Why would somebody be interested in this kind of electronic music? Because when I started producing in '92, the hot sound of that time was club music. You know, DJ Jean was really yeah. popular in the Netherlands. Uh, there was no trance. The word trance hadn't even been invented until five years later, six years later. Um, so I was just, you know, being a, a law school student in Leiden, promised my parents to finish it. And uh, I got a job in a local club in Leiden. 
uh, as a DJ. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was, uh, it was a room that's probably just as big as this radio studio. <laughs> and I had to clean the toilets afterwards. But looking back on it, that was actually my education. Because if you have to play for 10,000 people, you know that half of them want to dance anyway. But if you if you dan if you were a DJ and, and nobody knows you and you're in a in a club where there's 20 people you see everything you yeah. see everything and it's a lot harder to get those people dancing because yeah. they're only there for the alcohol they're only there for the girls and who cares about the music you know as long as it's as long as the people are having a good time so that really learned me the basics of mixing programming reading a crowd that's how I actually had my education I think that's great but but um one step therefore so you you started there uh after you you were mixing at, at, the, at the the bedroom dj i guess yeah yeah so i was a bedroom dj yeah but i was a producer before i was a before i was a dj because i've always been interested in making sound so i was sampling everything left and right you know my mother was having a phone conversation with her friend i would make a record of it yeah, yeah, yeah. and i would repeat all the <laughs> stupid words that she was saying <laughs> and can you take us back to well how how the scene was like because uh, well, like you mentioned, there, there, the trends, well, uh, didn't exist. It was like house music, this new phenomena. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and and things, of course, were well, less organized than now because it was it was small, it was new. I think it's very important to understand what happened in the Netherlands at that time. '88, um, a lot of people, '1988, cons- considered the summer of love by many people um, dance music was already embraced massively in the netherlands a lot more than other countries uh looking back on it now mm-hmm. so you heard the early dance music already on the radio on daytime radio in the netherlands in 1990 1991 1992 Absolutely. christine w feel yeah, what you yeah, want yeah, robin yeah. s show me love those were records that you heard everywhere yeah. in, a, in the in the clubs you heard them on the radio so there was a big uh, overlap and I was growing up in that time and all my good friends I think this is probably one of the most important things all my good friends were listening to house music yeah they were buying records so we had this friendly competition like if we have one hour off of school uh, we would uh, ride on our bikes in Leiden to cyber records or forbidden planet and we would you know we the first the first guy that was in the door would get the white label from yeah, pancake exactly. the new release on oh, work yeah, records yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. you know uh, so this was very important to understand that of course, you grow up and you're being influenced by the people that, that you hang out with. So my two of my best friends, who were also my uh, the best men at my wedding, Ruth and Vincent, they were very important for me because they their musical taste, taste became my musical taste as well. Because we were just three friends, yeah. you know, making mixtapes. this tapes. one, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got this one. And yeah. then it, when we had a break in school, when we uh, used to get a sandwich across the uh, corner when we in, in school, Vincent used to play me mixes that he did. You know, we were we were walking around with one big head, you know, Walkman. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that was very important because because I was too young to go to clubs because yeah. the whole Amsterdam scene is something that I wanted to be part of, but I couldn't because I was not 18 years old yet. Oh. And at the time, there were quite a few Dutch progressive radio shows. Um, Capul Deluxe from Luc Janssen springs to mind, VPRO Radio. Yeah. Um, ben Liebrand, of course, mentioned him. Robin, Robin Albers, Albers, yeah, for uh, those who like the groove. Those who like the groove. Yeah. Uh, Rave Radio with Adam Curry. Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple of other. So everything that was on the radio that was dance music, I sucked it up. And I taped everything. I still have those cassette tapes Great. at home. Listen to them. And... Uh, especially the VPRO, they they had some really really strange radio shows with some really experimental music. I remember hearing the House of God by DHS yeah, yeah, yeah. on on VPRO radio, going like, "What is this?" 
the house of God. Yeah. It sounds like a distorted 909. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Was, and he sampled that, that guy that was praising the house, the house of God. I was like, everything came together. My mother hated it. Yeah? Okay. They hated it. Because and she played it so loud. Or? Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Well, you know, because my parents hate it. Uh, that's why I loved it. Because when you're 16, 17, you want to like something that your parents hate. Yeah. That's the, yeah. the reality of the things. And was there like a moment you thought, yeah, uh, I want to be a DJ? I always wanted to be a DJ. Okay. It was always my dream, but I never had the arrogance to think that I would fit in. That it I would work. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you a little secret. I still think I don't fit in the whole DJ scene. <laughs> I'm not a stereotypical DJ, I think. Although the nerds took over. I mean, I remember going to <laughs> DJ Jean and the It. I've been there maybe two, three times. And I saw the nerds glued to the back of DJ Jean with white labels hold in their arms. Jean was playing the tracks. And those g nerds were hoping that Jean would play their white label. Because yeah. if DJ Jean would play your yeah, track yeah. in the It, yeah. it would probably mean that your track would get signed, would get released and everything. So, yeah, that was my dream. And... It is really important to understand that at the time when I was dreaming to be a DJ, the only thing that you could dream of was DJing on Rembrandt Square in Amsterdam. That yeah. was the highest. There yeah. were no festivals. No. There were no... Uh, it was only a club thing. There was it or, ca or uh, chemistry. It's chemistry, uh, yeah. or Roxy. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah. it. I tried to get into the Roxy. Couldn't get in. I've been refused three or four times. Me and my friend, we just went to Amsterdam. I couldn't get in. No. And I, I honestly, I think if I would be the doorman and I would see me in front of the door, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't let me in too. <laughs> oh wow, that's that, that's great. And and what kind of records you bought at the time then? I was just a little bit like my dad. My dad was always a little bit against uh, the popular sound. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I was buying these obscure tracks and cyber records. Uh, Leiden was also very important because they had all these obscure tracks, you know, from. Those Detroit trans labels. Well, you know, now we call them trans labels, but back in the day it was Underground Resistance yeah, and yeah, yeah, Tresor yeah. in Berlin. Yeah. And I remember staring at the cover, collecting my money from my paper route and, and going to buy, uh, you know, and I had to, had to choose. I could not buy both, tra both, both records, but I had to look. I remember when Paul Van Dyke's album came out, 3345 yeah. RPM. With Foreign Angel. That was uh, the original version. Yeah. Uh, that was a massive influence. And that was before, like I said, before trance was Before invented. the name, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and what were, uh, besides the club you mentioned, what was one of the first, well, real DJ gigs? That I went to or that I that I did? Uh, well, that you did, but now I want to know where you went to. <laughs> the first real DJ gig I went to, big DJ gig, was the Mega Music Dance Experience. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm ashamed yeah. to say this, but it's true. <laughs> But in 1992, and I think uh, René Gaston, now known as Chocolate Puma, they yeah. were doing their sets because they were massive as uh, Fresh Fruit Records. And Two Unlimited was there, which I wasn't a big fan. Was it like in the Rai in Utrecht? Or no, something? it was in the Jaarbeurs. Oh, Jaarbeurs, Utrecht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I now did the State of Trance yeah. event years later. But I remember being there for the first time, and it was it opened my eyes. And I think they had Marcelo, Roland Molendijk, 100% ISIS. And uh, th that entire event was broadcasted on Veronica Radio in yeah. the Netherlands. Absolutely. And I st I've listened to that tape. I still have the tape from the from that 1992 or 93. I remember all the tracks. I remember all the mixes yeah. and, and I sucked it all in. Okay, so that's where you went to. And what was uh, one of, uh, after after uh, the, the time you played in the club, you uh, were busy with making music. 
And then was the first release or was there first the, 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 the DJ gig? Well, I was fooling around in my studio. I still have tons and tons of dead tapes with unfinished tracks. And uh, there was a small label in The Hague uh, called Precious Records. And they were releasing a compilation called This Is Mellow. Because and that at the yeah. time you only had two sounds. You yeah. had Gabber and yeah. you had Mellow in yeah. the Netherlands. There was yeah. nothing in between. There was no, no house, there was no, no club. Exactly. You were either Mellow or you were Gabber. And I was, of course, I was a nerd. I was Mellow. Yeah. And so on This Is Mellow 3, there was a compilation that sold 1,500 copies, was a track of mine that was called Deep Inside the Mother. And it generated me maybe a thousand guilders but it was a lot of money oh, yeah, at the time yeah, yeah, yeah. and so i was able to buy us a little bit more equipment and it motivated me to continue and i was still in high school uh and then i started producing more and more tracks initially started uh with some remix uh, some releases on timeless records from sudesh muli yeah, yeah yeah who was one of the owners of new dance new radio yeah, yeah yeah uh so our paths have crossed yeah my friend. yeah yeah <laughs> because that's with uh secret cinema on it as well like uh, uh no no time. that was oh, uh, no, no, that, no. that was uh timeless altitude yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that was uh ec yeah. records from michelle de high yeah but timeless records was uh a record store in amsterdam um and he had a few labels. Uh, what was the name? I forgot the name of the label. And anyway, he he liked my tracks yeah. and he wanted to sign them. Uh, but he didn't even know how a contract worked. I remember <laughs> typing up a contract in his <laughs> office, printing it myself, putting, can you please sign here? I never got royalties from him, by the way. No. Uh, but I was so happy that my first track was out. And it was called Armin Push and it was a terrible club track. But it was the start of everything. And the B-side was a track called Don't Be Afraid, I'll Be Right Beside You. And one of the tracks that I produced at Ben Libran's studio. And I just kept on producing. And it motivated me so much. There's there's nothing like the feeling of holding your own track on vinyl. Yeah. It is so special. And later I also went to the to the pressing of vinyl. You oh, know, yeah, my, yeah. my own track was cu- being cut on acetate. Oh, the smell of that. <laughs> I was in love with it, yeah. And then because of the releases, uh, people wanted to book you as a DJ as well. Uh, no, that started much later. Okay. I think my first release was in 93, 94, 95. 96, I produced a track on Cyber Records called Blue Fear. And that track was being picked up by Sasha and Digweed. And I remember uh, Johan, the uh, owner of Cyber Records, calling me up, said that Sasha and Digweed were playing my track. And I didn't even know who Sasha and Digweed were <laughs> at the time. I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say, but wow. it's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they said my track was being played at the Manchester United Stadium before the players came on. I knew Manchester United. I said, that was, that's big. And then I heard that they picked up the, con- the track for a compilation called Northern Exposure, this is 1996, and that was a big deal because at the time CDs were selling massively, and they yeah. sold something like half a million copies of Northern Exposure, and uh, that generated me, I think, thirty thousand guilders or something. So I was able to buy a lot more equipment. Just invested. The, invested everything yeah. into my studio, and I was still living with my parents at the time. Yeah. Um, and I j- th- that's how it just went. So 96 produced Blue Fear came out in 97. Uh, that money came in half a year later, uh, and then I started producing more and more. So in 1998, I was just putting out really weird tracks on all kinds of sub-labels like the Shoeshine Factory, Hyperdrive Inc. And it's just, you know, actually one of the one of the f- one of the tracks was signed to one of the very first Chesto compilations on uh, when he was still with Basic Beat. Yeah, 
Hyperdrive Inc. Dreams in Sync. I don't know some well, you know one of those tracks you just make in four hours. Yeah, yeah. If that's how it went, you just <laughs> I'm just throwing dead tapes left and right, um, <laughs> and that's how I started to produce more and more tracks. And then that's when Tiesto came up. Uh, his popularity was rising, and it was exactly the sound that I loved because I was making that, but I couldn't DJ that, so I was still DJing in the bar in Leiden. Yeah. That's it. Uh, and then uh, there was this track in 99 that I did. I remember I made it at end of April 99 called Communication. And that started everything yeah. for me because I already had a few tracks that was doing really well. I was working with Olaf Bozowski on work records, did some releases. That's and Pancake as well, is it? Pancake, Pancake yeah, 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 yeah. It's him and Eric E. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, this is it's a lot of time. Uh, a lot. I produced so many tracks and so, <laughs> and so many of them were really bad. <laughs> but it's like Ed Sheeran said, you know, you first have to make ten bad songs or one hundred bad songs before you can make a good That's one. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. So I just and I'm so happy that these labels gave me the opportunity. And at the time, you know, everybody was buying everything. So even if you had a track that was not selling really well, you were still selling fifteen hundred vinyls, and you would still get like yeah. two thousand guilders, three thousand guilders on royalties, which was good. You know, you don't get that these days anymore when you release a track on mm. Spotify. So I just did a lot of releases on Autolos records, on 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 the early spinning records uh, with DJ René, one of the first releases actually. Okay. And then uh, uh, Chesto contacted me because he really liked communication and uh, he wanted to include it on his uh, Magic compilations, and we he wanted to make a track together. Uh, so we met up, and right about the time, uh, Ferry Corson was blowing up in the UK with his Out of the Blue and System F, yeah. System F project. And it was really funny because he Ferry was popular uh, way before Chesto and myself were popular there. I know Thijs already went to uh, the UK to play in Gatecrasher, mm -hmm. uh, but Ferry was, was the leading guy. So we got to warm up for Ferry. It's true. Yeah? Yeah, we were warming up uh, nice. or playing after Ferry. Uh, so I just kind of went in the slipstream of Ferry and and Tice, and I was just, I'm still thankful that they gave me the opportunity uh, to this day. Yeah. Uh, Tice introduced me to my current manager, Dave Lewis. Um, yeah, and, and, and the he, rest is history. Exactly, because well, he's 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 from England. Uh, Dave Lewis, yeah, oh, yeah. He has English roots. Yeah. He's, he's born here, but he, uh, his, oh. his dad is English, I think. Yeah. So that, that, was there uh, a moment, uh, if you if you think about it now, you think, wow, okay. Uh, a realization moment this is big this is this yeah um there was there was one moment i remember sitting in the bathtub after playing my first gig in the uk um i get, i got to warm up for Seb fontaine in a legendary courtyard in liverpool uh for cream and Seb fontaine Seb fontaine yeah. was so, was so uh, cuz initially i was supposed to play from 10 to 11:30 but he loved it so much that he allowed me to play 30 minutes more wow and I remember for, for the first time seeing the English crowd, which at the time was completely crazy. Yeah. Like fans were screaming and I never experienced that. And I was mixering with a rotary mixer, you yeah. know, the not, not with faders, uh, no, but yeah, knobs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, fortunately I had my experience as a DJ in the Nexus, but I was mixing trance and I didn't even know if people would like it. I, was, I played, I know they like communication because that was on the Radio 1 playlist. That was on the 5th of February, 2000. And I finished the gig. I went to my hotel. I went to sit in the bathtub because all my adrenaline was rushing yeah. through my body. And I sat there and I'm thinking, wow, this could really be something. This could really, this could really mean I can make a career. So, and I was still a law school student at the time. And I promised my, uh, my grandfather on his deathbed that I would finish my law degree. So I okay. did. Wow. 
Um, and I switched to copyright law because I thought that may come in handy later. <laughs> well, which is true. Which is true. And um, <laughs> yeah, so in 2002, I finished my law degree, yeah. um, which of course took a lot longer than I, w- I planned to do because I had all the gigs. Um, and then I said to myself in 2002, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try DJing for a year and I'm basically still in that <laughs> you're year. Still, you're still trying. Okay. I'm still trying. <laughs> and, and, and what was it to deal like, uh, getting famous? Because well, as you mentioned, you were the guy, uh, with, with the pimples uh, on the attic, yeah. uh, the bedroom DJ. And now you saw your name on billboards and, 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 and well, flyers during that time, of course, a lot. It's still being famous is, is. I don't know if that's really a, a nice thing, to be mm-hmm. honest. I, I don't know. I like being recognized for, for my work. Um, but, you know, people all of a sudden start to project all kinds of things on you. If if somebody would have told me beforehand that this was what this what it would be like to be famous, I probably would have said no, no, thank you. Because I don't really, you know, um, I don't believe in all the, 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 the person. I mean, of course, it's nice if you get praise and if, mm. you know, if you get an award or something, but... Uh, you know, people are much more interested in the person behind. Well, and I would just want to be respected as a musician. So that always was kind of a, a conflict. Uh, thing, a conflict, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, and I remember the beginning of my career that my name was always misspelled. <laughs> with one U. Uh, one U, B W R E N, B U E R E N, everything. I think we still have a, a photo book where with oh. I think about 50 flyers where my name is misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. Uh, and, 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 Well, you're a founding father, as I mentioned. Uh, how do you how do you feel that way? Because you, well, you are a big part of music history. Oh, well, yeah. thank you for the kind words. Yeah, well, it, it, it's, well it, is. it feels weird because I'm a fan first and foremost. I consider my a fan of music mm-hmm. before anything else. Because, you know, I love this music so much and I'm a clubber myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked, I still go. I went to Awakenings last year. I still go to events myself and I really enjoyed it. I go for the music, really. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so... To be called a founding father, that's something I would never tell about myself. Because no. I'm a f- I'm a, I'm too much of a fan to be like that. And I know, of course, I know my achievements. I shouldn't be too modest because, you know, I'm proud of the things I've yeah. achieved and, you know, built this company and everything. Uh, but I can honestly say that every decision I made in my career was always based on the love of, of you know, like building this radio studio or like building Armada yeah. was all about the love of music, the love of music yeah. and, and believing that I needed this vehicle to to put my vision out there without, yeah. you know, putting it out there uh, for other people to slam it down or something. Okay, but uh, I will say it in other words, uh, what do you feel most proud of being, uh, well, part of the history of, of, of house music or electronic dance music? Um, Most proud. I think I'm most proud of... Yeah, my my tracks, mm-hmm. uh, my music, and and the radio show, and you know, holding on to something that wasn't always popular. Um, I remember making trance before it was called trance, before it was famous. Then we have the, the golden age of trance, which is ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, and after that, there was a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's over," and yeah. it actually went down because Gay Crasher started booking, you know, progressive guys. And, yeah. But I, I I held on to the trance sound because I loved it so much that I knew that. You know, because I started this radio show and every week I had new tracks that I really wanted to share with people, you know, and it was only about when I was in the, you know, the feeling when you, when you sit at home or, or when you're in the record store and you, you go through a track and then, nah, nah, this is nothing and next track, nah, and then every week there is still to this day, there is always one track that I'm like, God, this is yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's the, 
the, I think DJing, what DJing is, is you your passion to share that music with other people. It's very simple. Like, uh, the first thing I do when I hear a great track is call my wife, and it drives her nuts. She likes dance music, but every time, <laughs> come, 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 listen, 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 listen. Do you hear this? Do you hear this? And, and that's what DJing is. Yeah. It's about screaming from the rooftops, listen to this track. It's great. You know, you have to experience it. Great. Well, let's talk about music. Um, uh, I want to talk about uh, your favorite five floor fillers. And floor fillers. In, 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 well, yeah, I'll say floor fillers. No, whatever. Your your fav- five tracks that were well, well uh, really big for you in the days uh, because it's well. Um, there's there's well, I'll mention the tracks that were very essential for my career. Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, I always mention uh, Ben Libran's remix of Phil Collins in the air tonight because mm-hmm. it was already such an iconic track. But his added drums just made the track i mean the the lyric is very depressive Mm -hmm. uh but he got that track back into the top three in the uk again uh for me that that track just came at the right time second album i have to mention is little fluffy clouds by the orb I don't know why, oh, yeah. but I've always been a massive fan of the orb. Um, and it's I can some... imagine because it's well, the, the the great sounds, the soundscape is. is well, is what like... what what happened to me when I first heard the orb is, I all of a sudden I felt I could feel the freedom of making music. You know what the orb was doing is they were painting with samples. Like, like you would paint a painting on, mm-hmm. on you know, they were just little using a little, little bit of this, a little bit of that, that, and they were just throwing yeah. everything together. And yeah. it, it was not coherent at all. It was just an atmosphere that would used to suck me in. And I still don't know to this day why I'm such a The Orb fan, but I have all their albums. I know them front to back, back and I don't know why, but The Orb has, has I think it's, it's because after The Orb, I realized that making music is uh, try not to put boundaries on yourself. Just think free, you know, open that, open your mind and start being creative and just do what, what makes you feel good. And yeah. I still think to this day that I, I'm not doing that enough. You know, the older I get, I think, and I still listen to my early works. I think, like, yeah, you know, you were just doing something, but you were doing it from the heart, not from the brain. You were doing it with a feeling. And that's what music that's is about. Yeah. Uh, third Third uh, track or album, I should mention, yeah. is Speedy J Live from, I think, Pink Pop. Uh, he did a performance in uh, 95. That, I don't think that album is available, actually. I got it. So uh, I, I, now you hear a bit of it in this yeah. podcast. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's, wow, that you mentioned that one. Yeah, Speedy J Live is one of my most listened to albums because, uh, I don't know, uh, that is such a massive inspiration for me. Uh, it was trans, actually, way yeah. before yeah. it was called trans and... You know, it was the time when he met up with Sven Vath in in, in Germany. Uh, it was a little bit of the German sound coming into Holland, uh, the Belgian sound, of course. Because don't forget, trance was more popular. It, it comes from Germany and Belgium, and we the Dutch took yeah, over. We we took it over, <laughs> but we stole it from the Belgians and the Germans. It's true. 
Um, so that will that will be an essential album. And do you still know where you where you heard it for, first, or, or was this in in the record store in Leiden again? Where yeah, yeah, I was yeah. I was buying CDs at the time yeah. a lot as well, and I remember his because uh, you know everybody knows Pull Over and yeah. something for your mind, and yeah. then and then Jochum Speedy J decided to go a completely different direction, absolutely, yeah. and then he went into the trance direction, and at the time nobody was doing it. Uh, so I already liked his album Ginger. I have it on vinyl and on uh, on CD, but he has some he did some sort of a live. Uh, album with it and it still blows my mind to this day. Have you any idea what, what he's doing? Jochen Paap? Uh, yeah, I, I saw him recently. He's, oh, really? Uh, he's, 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 he's completely into the techno scene now. Oh, okay. He makes techno, he's yeah. Him, yeah, okay. and he's, he does a lot of collabs with uh, Chris Liebing, I think. Yeah, okay. And I see his name pop up on several flyers, but he's one of the guys, same thing as with John Digweed or Sasha or, or Jochen Paap. If yeah. I come in, if he comes in the room, I become silent. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, you, this is a very important thing to, to have heroes in your life. Yeah. Very important. I thing. just saw a picture of you uh, fanboying to Together with uh, Ben Liebrand. Giorgio Moroder. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, Giorgio Moroder. I mean, I think I have to mention one of his tracks, The Chase. You know, uh, uh, yeah, let's mention Giorgio Moroder and let's mention Jean-Michel Jarre. Yeah. I mean, I have to mention those yeah. because we owe them that. I mean, it's... I think especially for the young people listening to this podcast, it's kind of hard to realize, but it's true that the synthesizer was considered a devilish instrument in the 60s. It was considered non-musical instrument. Mm -hmm. um, it was only until the Beatles started using uh, the Moog synthesizer, and I think it was Abbey Road for the White Album, that all of a sudden uh, things changed. Uh, and the synthesizer was being received more and more. Walter Carlos switched on Bach. And then later on, you know, in the 70s, you started hearing more and more synthesizer-based music. So uh, th what happened in the evolution of music, is, is, I think, is super interesting because the synthesizer was invented by a couple of scientists in, in offices. And at the time, in the 60s, everything was about distortion and guitars and, and the Beatles and Rolling Stones and, and that. And then the synthesizer came and it merged. And from the synthesizer came electronic music yeah and now if you listen to popular radio i mean a lot of people still talk about dance music i don't believe in dance music and popular music everything's mixed and merged Absolutely. there's a, not a single track that you will hear on radio that doesn't have a sequenced background no. in it there's every oh, yeah. track on the radio has is, is a dance track yeah. basically <laughs> of course well, electronic track electronic track yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, the future for dance music is mixing and merging. You know, the dance music sound now has taken over modern day music, which is kind of revolutionary. If you, if somebody would tell you that in the 60s, they would laugh you in yeah. the face. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I think Georgia Moroder uh, and uh, Jean-Michel Jarre have been incredibly important for, for that. Uh, for Jean-Michel Jarre, I love his album Zuluk. That was my dad again who came up with that. And Oxygen, obviously. Yeah. But Zuluk was the first album that he used sampling. <laughs> And he went around the world to sample different voices. And that, again, you know, like referencing to the orb, it was like so free and yeah. so weird. And so, you know, I, I it was like seeing your first uh, Picasso or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, when you've yeah, watched yeah. Rembrandt's yeah, yeah. or Van Gogh's for it years. It is art, yeah. And then you see uh, uh, Picasso and you're like, what? What is yeah. he doing? You know, and then it opened my mind creatively. Looking back at it, I was just stunned that, Oh, this is possible? You can do this? You know, you don't have to have a three-minute song. You can just have <laughs> a 20-minute song. Or, exactly. And then the Orb in 92 came with their album UF Orb, where they have the track uh, Blue Room. 
but the single version has, still has the Guinness Book of Records for longest single ever. The single edit is 40 minutes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and they went on top of the pops, and you can look it up on YouTube, yeah. and you see uh, them playing space chess. There's two guys sitting on a stage with lasers, wow. and they're playing space chess. And I thought that that was so brilliant. Like, I couldn't even believe it. That that Top of the Pops, who at the time was the yeah, biggest yeah, TV absolutely. program. Yeah. And you see two guys playing chess on stage while in the background Blue Room was playing from the 40 orb. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and do you still listen to that music? Yeah, yeah. I still, it, it's, it's kind of funny because whenever I feel sad or I'm alone when I mm -hmm. travel, when I'm in, in a hotel room and I feel not so well, um, I put on the orb and it always takes me back. Okay. It's my, you know, you can put me in a prison for 10 years. I'll be very unhappy if you do so. But you do. <laughs> but if I put back, if I put the orb, I, I come into my own world. Nobody can take that away from me. So every iPhone I, I always buy, I always put music from the orb on it, the first thing. So I know even if my Spotify is not working, I can still, okay. <laughs> I can check all the albums from the orb. And Klaus Schulze, by the way, uh, I think we owe a lot to him as well. He's, he's my father used to be listening to him a lot, but he's for me is the, is the is the godfather of sequenced music. Great names. Can you uh, mention a, a more, uh, well, house music oriented track? A, a, a vinyl you bought uh, during that time the, in the beginning and, and, and maybe... Oh yeah, many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, but... <laughs> How long is your podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, one that for you uh, is, is special. LSG, Netherworld, Oliver oh. Leap. Lee Kwan, Point Zero, Matt Derry. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 okay. It was just the first trance. Yeah, Oliver Leap in general. You can even put that in 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 in, in your set nowadays with the. Yeah, yeah, still, yeah. Um, Tyree, Acid Crash. Yeah. Uh, Tyree Cooper. Wow. The producer. Yeah. On some duper duper <laughs> Exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Tyree, I still have the original vinyl on House Music. The label was called yeah. House Music. Say what? Yeah. 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 The original, uh, so later on it was sampled by um, House of Light. In my house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And back in the days, those guys would just have a 909 and, and a Uno synth. And then they, that's how they used to create uh, those tracks. And of course, a lot of Dutch music, to be honest. Still, René Gaston, who yeah. we now know as Chocolate Puma. All the fresh fruit uh, uh, Fresh things. fruit stuff, the good man. They were really, really influential. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, with their signings on Strictly Rhythm and all that. Yeah. Later on, of course, Wink, Higher State of Consciousness, Size 9, I'm Ready. Oh, yeah. Josh Wink, incredibly important. <laughs> Underworld, you know, was always already trans before it was yeah. called trans. Uh, yeah, Age of Love, yeah. uh, Jam and Spoon. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about your own uh, productions. Um, besides the song you've just mentioned, are there any other remixes or, or songs you're yeah, really proud of? Of course, you're proud of every song because otherwise you wouldn't release it, but were important for you as, as uh, well, becoming <coughs> the number one DJ. Yeah. Um, I have to mention communication. We yeah. just touched upon that. Uh, straight after that, I think uh, uh, Burned With Desire, which was my first 
written, co-written vocal track with Justine Suiza was meant as a chill-out track. But then Patrick Moxie at Ultra Records in, in, in New York convinced me to do an uplifting mix. Oh, okay. Which initially wasn't the plan. It was part of my debut album, 76, yeah. which is exactly 76 minutes, because I'm a nerd, and I was born <laughs> in 76, so... So yeah, that was really important, Burned with Desire, because uh, it was a uh, Radio 1 playlist in the, in the UK, and it was uh, in the club chart, and it was being played on KTU Radio in America. It was a big deal at the time. Uh, so that really broke my career also in the States, and it really helped me. Um, then I have to fast forward to 2008 when I did my Imagine album mm-hmm. um, with In and Out of Love with Sharon and Adel. That's still being considered by many of my fans as one of my, you know, great tracks. Also because it was very radically different. And I remember I was so afraid when I released that track. Yeah. Because yeah. it was, you know... It was something different. It yeah. was very different. Yeah. You know, you have to understand the trans family, as much as I love them, they're very, very particular about yeah. their sound. Yeah. And you cannot, you know, anything that's different is very difficult. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the thing. And I know that's one of your mottos. Uh, uh, well, from an from a, actually an Outland uh, Records. Yeah, uh, from Dimitri and uh, yeah. Jamie. Don't be a prisoner of your own style. Yeah, I took that as my life motto. Yeah, which is which is great, but it's also hard because you want to give the fans what they want. Yeah, uh, and if you know me as a person, that that's also when you understand that in 2010 I had a big backlash being the number one DJ in the world. I felt the most unhappy guy because yeah? I was just trying to please everybody. Okay, and I was so trying you to weren't thinking about yourself, no. just giving, giving, giving. No, okay. and that's the person who I am. You know, wow. I'm, I'm a pleaser, and maybe that's not always good. Now looking back on it, I understand that. Artists are supposed to shake your ground. They are supposed to do something that you don't like. Mm-hmm. And you have to reverse it as well. You know, mm. If people say that they don't like your new track, it probably means they don't like it because your previous track had such a massive impact on them. So I think that's also very important. to. to and I understand that now. Mm-hmm. You know, When I did uh, Mirage, the album, as a follow-up to Imagine... Uh, there was a lot of people like, hey, where's the, where's the follow-up to In and Out of Love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, <laughs> I had This Light Between Us, which was the big single from the Mirage album in 2010. And then I did the Intense album in 2013. And then everybody was like, hey, where's the new This Light Between Us? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. always somebody uh. disappointed, you know? <laughs> and I understand now how that works. But I had a tough time dealing with it because I'm a pleaser, you know? Uh, I, I, I take criticism to heart. And I know now that it's not possible to to please 100% of human beings. But I want to as a DJ, you know. I'm I'm not pleased until everybody is happy. So no. that's why I... I s- think it's really heavy. You just said uh, that you were, well, feeling bad uh, during, uh, the, well, the, the, the first uh, uh, number one uh, uh, time. Yeah. When, 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 when you became happy, when was that then? Uh, I, I was happy the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course you were yeah. happy, but... It, it, it felt a bit empty, I guess. It, 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 well, I, yeah, I expected more from it, you yeah, know. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like, okay, now I'm the number one DJ in the world. Yeah. What's going to happen now? And yeah, I'm, yeah. you're still the same guy. I was still the same nerd in the studio as that created Blue Fear. You, you know, you stay the same. And it learned me a lot about myself because I went through a deep, deep tunnel uh, with all the criticism, especially with the message boards. And, yeah. you know, it was before Facebook and before... Uh, you know, Instagram and before that, it was all everything was bulletin boards. Online. But what 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 changed uh, this? Because there are still negative reactions, and and 
Well, I went to a coach. Okay. And uh, I had a few sessions there, and he, he pointed me to some books I started reading, and I understand a lot more about myself. Give us one uh, great book advice. Uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Uh, that was a little bit my Bible because it understood me about the way that the human brain works was his theory. The Winner Effect from Ian Robertson is a really interesting read because he proved or he scientifically tried to prove how the brain physically changes when you stand on stage and you get all those endorphins. You know, he has a theory about that. I think it's a very interesting read. So I started thinking about it more. I started DJing a little less. And that's how I felt the freedom to create a track like This Is What It Feels Like in exactly. 2013. Yeah. Which, ironically, this is, I think it's really ironic. 2012 was the last time I was voted number one DJ in the world by DJ Mac. Yeah. 2013, <laughs> Hardwell took over. Congrats to him. And that's the year I had my biggest hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still like, you know? This is what it feels like. And that got me my Grammy nomination. Yeah. I remember <laughs> sitting in my hotel room because we had a State of Trance event in Bulgaria, in Sofia. And I had TweetDeck open. Was, I was reading yeah, all yeah, the all tweets the, and everybody uh, was reading. Yeah. And Pete Tong won, was so excited about the single. Uh, Positiva signed it. And uh, Pete Tong wanted to premiere it in his show. So he had the world premiere That's in his great. radio show. Yeah. So I was sitting in my hotel room listening to Pete Tong and said, this is the new Armour Van Buren single. This is what it feels like. And I was reading my Twitter and it was nothing but bad comments <laughs> for a track that later got me a golden record yeah. in the States yeah. and a Grammy nomination. Yeah. So, you know, I think it has a lot to do with the expectations from the fans. And I understand them yeah. because, but the problem is, and this is the key thing, maybe this is what you want to hear. The key thing is that I understood that I could not recreate the tracks that I did in the past. As proud as I am of Burned With Desire and mm -hmm. Blue Fear and Communication, they're all photographs of that particular time. Yeah. And I can, I, I mean, it's very easy for me to open the project to Blue Fear because I have and all the sounds the chain, and change the melody no. a little bit. Then you get Love for Love yeah. as a follow-up to Show Me Love exactly. by Robin S. Exactly. It's, it's the same, but not as good, you no. know? No. So I found out now that the most important thing that I should be doing in the studio is have fun. Yeah, and listen to your heart. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Having fun. If I'm not having fun in the studio, no. I get out. Nice. Is, is there like um, a signature thing in all of your tracks? Uh, people say so, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're say, they say there's an Armin sound. Yeah. yeah. But can you mention it yourself? Do you have... Uh, do you um, it's the half notes. Like the same thing I did in Sale. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, we, and, and yeah. accords-wise, I think there's a thing that Benno always called the Armin step. <laughs> the C major 7, I think. Uh, you know, th th there's 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 a chord that I always I should he he really prevents me from playing the same chord because I because that's like the bass uh, okay that's the chord I always play oh. uh, yeah okay but you know sometimes I wish I was uh, in love more with a different sound because right uh, well to be honest my life would be a lot more easy if I was just a house producer right now. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. it's not what comes from my heart. And that has no. everything to do with my dad. Because he just, you know, when I was four, five, six, seven, seven year old, my dad was never an alcoholic. My never my, my dad worked really hard as a doctor. And I saw my my father struggle uh with his practice and he had to work really long hours. And his way to relax was to play really loud music. And that I think was is more important than anybody else knows because 
you grew I think, you know, we can talk, make I can think of a long story and, and make up all kinds of mm -hmm. things. But if in, in reality, if you really look at Armin van Buren and who I am, I am the person that became because of my surroundings. So my father and my mother were very important. My brother yeah. was very important. My close friends were very important. So if you look at them, then it explains everything. Because yeah. like I said, Ruth and Vincent yeah. and, and Jeroen and yeah, all those the, guys. Yeah, you're the sum of all. Yeah, yeah I'm the yeah. sum of, of my history. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, looking at my father and what he listened to, you know, when Vangelis Antarctica came out, uh, the soundtrack to the movie, he, he, he played that so loud. Whoa, my <laughs> mother used to run out of the living room. But I remember those sounds. So when I put on that album, it just takes me back to when I was nine or ten years old and yeah. my dad was just playing that really loud. Well, why did he... And now I do the same with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> And then the question, uh, Holland is a really small country. Um, why are our dance music and our DJs so successful all over the world? It's a question that I get almost every interview. And uh, so I had a little bit of time to think about the answer. I think it has a lot to do with the people that you hang out with. And in Holland, we already embraced dance music in a very early start. I think mm -hmm. we were one of the very first countries that embraced dance music. You know, look at the story of ID&T in 1992. Yeah. They already had like the first big events. Mysteryland was founded in 93 or 94. Yeah. Uh, so we already had dance music here and very, very early. And we were one of the first to really embrace that. I think it also has something to do with the liberal government that we had at the time. Uh, there were a lot of illegal raves. Uh, yeah. And I think you, like I just touched upon in the interview, um, you, what, what you become is because of your surroundings. And all my friends were listening to dance music. Yeah. Maybe I didn't even like it that much in the beginning. But because my <laughs> it friends it was, yeah, yeah. because my friends were listening to it, I just had to listen to it. Every weekend we would be going out, we would go listen to dance music. Yeah. There, there was no question. You know, there was not like, oh, shall we go do a movie? No, we're going to see this DJ. Okay. And I just, you know, I followed them. Like, yeah. Okay, we're going to see a DJ. So I think that that is the answer, and and also I think uh, it's you you asked a question about DJs, yeah. But let's also give props to organizations like IDNT, yeah, um, because they were also very very essential for the growth of. I mean, Chesto wouldn't probably have his big breakthrough if it inner wasn't city. for in, if it wasn't for yeah. inner city, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so I think all, yeah. not only the DJs are popular, yeah. but if I do an event now and I go to Mexico, for example. I walk on stage and five minutes before I walk on stage, I look at all the people that are working backstage. Mm -hmm. So I stand there and I wait for my turn. And nine out of 10 times, I hear Dutch speaking people. Yeah. No matter where I am in the world, I hear Dutch speaking. The pyrotechnics guy is from Holland. The sound guy is from Holland. The stage builder is from Holland. There's always every festival you go to in the world. I swear to you, there's, there's a Dutch person involved. So it also says you that there's something in the water here in Holland. Yeah. We've built this industry. Uh, so I understand your question, but I think the DJs get all the credits. And I think it's not really no, fair. No, no, that's, that's a good thing. And also, uh, I, I want to say one thing about, for example, DJs like Ronald Molendijk, Michel de Heij, yeah. uh, Marcelo, Dimitri. They really, they've missed that international thing. Yeah. You know, I was able to get success and, and, and a lot of money mm -hmm. because of the international fame of dance music. But those guys are actually the founding fathers and they kind of missed that boat. And I yeah. think it's still not really fair to them no. because they, you know, they were the inspiration for me to start DJing. And I, I got lucky. You know, I just got very, very lucky meeting the right people. And I was right there at the right time when the explosion of dance music was there. But don't forget, uh, there was, you know, we learned it from somebody else. Yeah. 
uh, Ferry learned it from somebody else. Thijs learned it from somebody else. I learned it from somebody else. You know, we looked at Carl Cox. We looked at Pitong, Judge Jules, Sasha, Dickweed, Nick Warren. Yeah. Uh, and in the Netherlands, Ronald Molenijk, Michel de Heij, DJ Jean, Marcelo, Remy, 100% ISIS. All those guys were so important because they are actually the guys that we should give credit to. And they were the reasons why I'm sitting here talking to you in this radio studio. <laughs> um, how do you see the future of uh, EDM? I think the future of EDM is the same thing as what happened with, you know, from rock and roll came pop music. Yeah. And well, I think, it is pop music now, you can say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think dance. you can no longer speak of dance music no. in general because no. if you th then it means that Calvin Harris and... And Kygo are the same as as uh, uh, Charlotte de Witte, and and you know it's completely yeah. different yeah. sides of the yeah. spectrum. Absolutely, and they all come from dance music, but they went a completely different direction. And I think this is what music is supposed to do. We are supposed to break Evolve. boundaries. Yeah. Uh, so if I have to take any guess, it's just mixing and merging. Look at what happened for du dubstep, for example. Dubstep has clear elements of jungle. Mm -hmm. Remember the jungle yeah, days? Absolutely. Uh, jungle, um, two-step from mm -hmm. the UK. Yeah. Uh, you know the, those baseline sounds, and they were all mixed and merged together with Skrillex being one of the you know. Key. Yeah. Also, the development of software now is essential in the development of this new sounds. You know the chopped vocal sounds that Diplo and stuff yeah. are using right now, and all those other guys. Uh, so the technique of making dance music is still very essential to the sound. I think that's something that isn't mentioned enough because the the birth of Ableton Live, Ableton is a is a DAW, is a is a piece of software that you yep. can make electronic music with, but it's so radically differently built than, for example, Logic Pro or Cubase or even FL Studio. Then you create different music with it just because it's built and has different no, the, options. And then and, and there were uh, sounds in a new synthesizer, and that became the hit. Because exactly, of, yeah. yeah. The Dominator by Human Resource yeah. is Dominator is, is is a track that was just built off of uh, uh, very very uh, simple. The 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 Uno two uh, yeah. came out from uh -uh. Roland. And it had a new functionality in it that was built in by the by the designers of Roland, and that's how a new sound came. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. Um, how do you want to be remembered? How do I want to be remembered? Well, hopefully, I've moved some people. Um, I've created some emotions, and I made people's lives just a little bit better with uh, making music. And if I if I did that, if I made people's lives a little bit more happy or a little bit more mu beautiful then i think that 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 would be the biggest compliment you know I, i'd like to be remembered as the guy that um yeah just brightened your g gave color to your life a little bit more <laughs> well, why, why are you laughing about because uh, i know because you're oh and, and that's maybe also a dutch thing uh, uh to keep your uh, feet, feet on the ground feet on the ground but on the other hand yeah it's 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 insane and and what the good thing is uh, I think is that you uh, give new people uh, the the possibility to to grow now. Yes? Yeah, because I don't forget I had the opportunity in the early days by yeah. Sasha and Digweed who played Blue Fear and uh, by Ferry who gave me the opportunity to play with him in the UK. Yeah, and who introduced me to his team. So now you do it yourself. Yeah, I think it's my it's my job. Yeah, um, you know it's my job to offer. Uh, artists fair contracts to pay the royalties in time uh and and to be able for them to make uh you know just this week in my radio show i had dave winnell who's an australian guy extremely talented producer but yeah nobody here nobody knows dave winnell well he's been ar around for a little while but 
you know, I really, I like you his sound. You give him the big stage now, yeah. Yeah, I give him the, so he he gets to play my radio show and people hear him. And then yeah. the rest he has to do himself. I yeah. cannot break or make no. his career, but I can help a little bit maybe. But do you have for the listeners who are producing or DJing, do you have a, a little advice? Well, the biggest advice for me is uh, keep learning. Um, I've never stopped learning. And this is something that I've always discovered as well. Um, you're never done learning. If you think you know everything about making music, forget it. Because yeah. there's, you know, for example, uh, the first tracks that I did, I made with an, a lot of outboard gear, one sequencer and a big mixer. Mm -hmm. Now I'm working on my laptop, everything in the box. Um, working with Kensington, a Dutch rock band yeah. in the studio. I completely had to forget everything I knew and I was mixing, you know, with a lot of compressors big, yeah, and yeah, big... Yeah, yeah. So uh, never, never think you're done learning and your quickest way to the top, and I keep telling this to people, if you want to be a famous DJ, you got to make music. There's not a single DJ in the top 100 that doesn't release tracks. Uh, so your quickest way to the top is make hit records or hit records, tracks that other DJs start spinning. The, yeah. the, big, the best example is Martin Garrix with Animals. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's, of course, he's a genius producer and a super nice guy and a great DJ. But what got him started was Animals, the yeah. track that everybody started playing. Yeah. You hear it on every festival. And that raises, uh, uh, that, that turns heads. You yeah. know, who's this guy? Can we book him? And that's how it starts. So, and I know Afrojack, for example, he was really making tracks for guys like you. Like, yeah. So he, he tried several styles. Like, oh, I, I, I make this track for this DJ now. Yeah. I make this track for this DJ. Yeah, yeah that's that's great. Yeah, well, Afrojack is, uh, besides an extremely nice guy, he's, uh, he's a nerd like me. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> if, you you if you see him sitting in the studio, he no, he's so quick with FL Studio. It's incredible. I, I once sat next to Martin Garrix when he was putting a track, and I was like, those guys make tracks in literally in 10 minutes, and yeah. it sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, but, well, yeah. Well, I know you do as well. Uh, well, not in 10 minutes. No. <laughs> it no. takes Grandpa a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much for your time, Arvin. You're welcome. Uh, this uh, was, uh, well, one of the first the podcasts about the history of... Uh, yeah, wh what do you think? Should I call it house music? Should I call it the history of... Uh, yeah, it's more like the Dutch... Well, th it's funny that you should say that because pe when people say house music... Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's an all other thing now. House music has become a subgenre. Yeah. And it used to be the overall term yeah, for but everything. Even, but even EDM at a certain point was like a genre. EDM yeah. was more like the big room uh, yeah. thing. I think the history of electronic music. The maybe. history of... Yeah. The, and then the Dutch history, of course. Uh, yeah. 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 Dutch history. Well, you know, what stops you from looking out, out, uh, outside the border? Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is just the beginning <laughs> more episodes coming up share this uh, podcast among your friends and if you have any questions feel free to contact me uh, twitter is at g-i-e-l-s uh, so at giels thanks for listening until next time thank you check this out